0: Hello, and welcome to The Lee Show. I'm your host, your best friend, your lover, your companion, Lee Bressler. I had to exchange something at the Apple Store this week. Uh, I had a case for my phone. The case was cracking. It was still under warranty, so I brought it back. And, and I, I really like some of this Apple stuff. I have an iPhone. It's great. The AirPods, or whatever they're called, the EarPods, those are, those are nice. They're easy to use. But what is not great is these Apple stores. First of all, they're they're internet cafes for Italians and homeless people. You just have these large families shouting at each other in Italian, wearing their diesel jeans with like the exaggerated white stitching that I don't think was ever cool, but maybe was like many years ago. And they're all logging into their Yahoo Mail accounts on the IMAX in the middle of the store. But really the worst part of the Apple stores is the people who work there. Cause I'm reasonably certain that they round up the lowest IQ people they can find. And they're like, hey, tell us about your experience as a child. And these people are like, oh man, it was bad. People always called me stupid. And then the Apple recruiter is like, how would you like to be called a genius? And the guy's like, okay, sure. I've never imagined that would happen to me. So then they bring them on the short bus to the Apple store. And they're like, just stand here and point to the iPads or something. It's really the most euphemistic name possible. I didn't need these people to troubleshoot something because God forbid you actually like need them to do that. I mean, it was just, Hey, the case is broken. They, they set up the thing. They're like, all right, we're going to order you a replacement one. And then you just got to come back in a week. And so I came back and, and you just sit around while they genius it up. And and the genius who came to help me, it was wild. This guy had a a crazy long ponytail like a horse. Like it went way below his butt. That's how long it was. And he, he was crouching on the ground. And I said, do you want to sit next to me on the bench? He said, no, we're not allowed to sit down. If we sit down, then we get in trouble. So this guy is just crouching there with his ponytail sort of dragging on the ground. Can you imagine how filthy that gets? And then he was like, oh, sorry. I know you got an email saying we had the replacement, but we can't find it. So come back next week. So lucky me, I get to go back and have more time with the geniuses. As long as we're talking about getting things fixed, the internet service broke at my apartment. And not only did it break, that same exact day, I got a bill from Time Warner or Spectrum or whatever it's called now that my service, my, my, my bill was going to be like $16 more per month. What kind of chutzpah is that? They just start raising your prices. They hope you won't notice. The entire thing is a scam. They provide no pricing transparency. They just bundle together a lot of junk you, 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 you don't need. And they make it tedious and difficult to get any kind of support or help and then just keep raising prices and hope you won't notice. Isn't that what we fear from monopolies or, or duopolies, that this lack of competition leads to uncompetitive behavior? Because if it was a competitive market, if switching costs were not high, then you would never tolerate this. It's an awful experience. I think in this country, we have a very strong tendency of, uh, against monopolies. I get that. It's been a powerful thread in American society for a long time. And it's not just monopolies. It's anything and anyone that becomes too powerful. We don't like a company or a person becoming too powerful because it's a threat to the state and federal government. Because those people, those companies, they're not elected. And so we can't have something or someone that is more powerful than the government and doesn't have the will of the people. I get that. I think it's a great idea. But this spectrum, I mean, it's outrageous. Their, their, their product is awful. So I switched. So I reached out to uh, Verizon. My building has this Fios They were like, yeah, we can cut your bill by 60 bucks a month. That's great. My internet service will be five times faster. That's also great. I scheduled the appointment. I called Spectrum to cancel my service. I don't know if I'm alone in this, but when I have a service person coming to my house, the electrician, the cable guy, whatever, I'm nervous for like a week in advance of that, thinking about the inevitable scenario that I dread. What's going to happen when the cable guy asks to use the bathroom? I'm not even talking about the COVID risk that he's going to somehow spread germs, but just what happens and what happens specifically when the cable guy says, I got to take a dump. Do I let him go in the bathroom in my apartment or do I say, oh, no, sorry, uh, you, you can't use this one. You got to go to the, the basement or something. There's like a a, a bathroom for the building employees. I get so much anxiety about this question, plumbers, contractors, cable guys. And I've had this experience where they're like, I'm going to blow up your bathroom. Do you mind if I do it? And you're like, oh, God, what do I say? It's real, I don't want to be a dick, but also I don't really want this guy taking a shit in my house. Anyways, the Verizon guy ended up showing up four hours late. I had an appointment for noon last Friday. He came at 4.30 p.m. That's not an auspicious start. And then he gets there and he goes, oh man, this is going to be a big job. We can't do this today. Let's do it tomorrow. Are you kidding me? Anyways, he's like, all right, I'll have someone come back at 8 a.m. tomorrow. 8 a.m. sharp. Fine. But then that guy showed up late. He didn't even get here until 1030. He got it done. I have Fios internet. I still don't know how the TV works, but, but he got it done. And the internet is fast. Anyways, I need feedback from my listeners on this issue. Let me know when the when the the cable guy asks to take a dump at your house, what do you say? While we're on the subject of monopolies, you know, the US Senate held hearings this week to discuss some of the garbage reporting in the Wall Street Journal about what's been called the Facebook files. And the premise of the reporting is that there is this whistleblower at Facebook who felt this overbearing moral need to leak some documents about what she claims are really bad things that Facebook is doing. Except that's just a narrative and the reality is quite different. First, the documents that she leaked were widely available. These weren't secret files hidden in a safe somewhere. Second, she's not a whistleblower. She didn't reveal any illicit activity. That's just a title that is being bestowed upon her by the media to confer some sort of of, of 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 virtue. And third of all, she didn't tell us anything we didn't already know. She offered no opinions that were not already in the mainstream press. She got attention for this precisely because her narrative confirms the nonsensical one that the New York Times wants you to hold. Why do you think that is? Because the press hates Facebook. Facebook is their greatest competitor. Social media allows anyone to share information. The news media no longer gets to act as gatekeepers. If anyone can publish anything and build a following, why do we need a subscription to the New York Times? They don't want to see the idiotic common folks challenge their stranglehold on information and places like Substack and Twitter and Facebook, that's a threat. So of course, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal want to see Facebook regulated and distracted and attacked because destroying any other platform besides their own is just a form of self-preservation for the media. If they can't produce good content, or they can't convince anyone to trust their work and pay attention to it, then at least they can try to gain some sort of regulatory advantage over their competitors. So then they find this former employee who will feed them something that supports this narrative and they run with it. But it was a very stupid narrative. The mainstream press has attacked Facebook for a long time. There was that Cambridge Analytica made up scandal. If you read the New York Times, you would think that Mark Zuckerberg organized the protests on January 6th. They wrote this this breathless piece with three bylines acting like the company is struggling with an internal revolt. One of the Wall Street Journal authors of the, the original piece about this appeared on Meet the Press last week, dressed like Rambo with a headband on, as if he was giving a dispatch from a war zone. The Atlantic wrote a piece last week that said that Facebook is a hostile foreign power. So what is it that this whistleblower supposedly blew the whistle on? The main subject concerns user safety, specifically for teenage girls. In summary, Facebook surveyed a group of teenagers, and some of those people said that Instagram made them feel worse about themselves because it made them compare themselves to their peers. That doesn't seem shocking to me. I mean, comparisons are hurtful. In in AA, I once heard someone say that it took him a long time to realize that he was comparing the way he feels on the inside to the way other people look on the outside. I do the same thing. It's really, it's very hard. And so we assume that everyone else's life is great and we're the only ones who feel anxious and upset and depressed, but everybody does. It's universal. The Wall Street Journal reported that, quote, 32% 32% of teenage girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Sure. I mean, I guess that's not a huge surprise. I don't know why that's any different from thumbing through the beauty magazines, Teen Vogue or, or Mary Claire or something, or watching movies and music videos and seeing some other people's lives glamorized. Is it that Facebook puts our peers into that mix rather than just some sort of anonymous distant celebrities? I don't know, but this is a good discussion to have. I think it's probably found on all corners of the internet, whether it's Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, anywhere else that we see other people's lives and track our followers and track our power and influence. But that's where the research, which by the way, Facebook themselves commissioned this research, that's where the research ends the reporters, the senators, they then jump to tell us that Facebook is making children kill themselves. The data does not support that. There's been this effort this week to to frame the narrative as Instagram is big tobacco and it's that type of story. It's not. Cigarettes have killed many, countless thousands of people. Instagram has not. Mike Solana wrote this week in Pirate Wires, this is a great quote, Isolation, alienation, a struggle with identity, this is an entire genre of 1980s coming-of-age movies. Back in the 90s, I watched a lot of Buffy. In one episode, a teenage girl felt so unseen, she literally turned invisible. She then became an assassin for the CIA, but we're getting a little off topic. He's right. This is a theme that's been explored for a long time. And when we dig into actual data, we see that teenage boys are four times more likely to kill themselves than teenage girls. But if we consider that point, it disrupts the narrative that the media wants you to believe about Facebook. It forces us to consider the very important topic of what is actually driving teenagers to kill themselves. So now this whistleblower, her name is Frances Hogan. And I don't know the last time a whistleblower went public With a PR firm, a press contact, a full legal team, a book deal, and a Senate appearance. I'm skeptical of her motives. She's being hailed as stunning and brave. I think this is her effort to get 15 minutes of fame, to build her own influence. And forgive me for pointing out that she didn't say a single thing that was insightful or new or interesting or illicit. She's gotten this red carpet media tour. Because she supported the narrative that Facebook is responsible for misinformation and hate. These are just the things that the cultural elites always want to find someone to blame for. And so they give her this title whistleblower and aggrandize her. It doesn't mean anything. The consequence of this is just more regulation of speech and more censorship. That's the goal just as the media tried to stomp on Facebook after the 2016 election by alleging that the tech platforms were abetting Russian interference. There is no good reason that we should accept what this woman calls polarizing content or safety. Those are just vague terms. They have no meaning beyond her own subjective political and cultural judgments and they support the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the politicians that want to be gatekeepers of information. On her website, here's the kind of drivel that this this Frances Hogan has on her website. Quote, during her time at Facebook, Frances became increasingly alarmed by the choices the company makes, prioritizing their own profits over public safety and putting people's lives at risk. As a last resort and at great personal risk, Francis made the courageous decision to blow the whistle on Facebook. That is some bullshit. Let's think about Facebook the company. They make money when people look at advertisements. And advertisers want viewers who are happy, who are calm, who are engaged. There's this concept out there that Facebook is focused on engagement instead of doing what is, quote, right. But I don't get how being angry makes users buy more stuff or play more games. I mean, as it is, Facebook made a whole point over the past few years of deprioritizing political content and prioritizing content from your friends, from your family. If the allegation is that Facebook is only focused on making money, I just don't see how this idea that being divisive or getting people to believe that they're being microchipped somehow helps them. Advertisers have tried to avoid political news and polarizing content for decades. They know that it makes people angry. They th- that's the exact kind of content that advertisers do not want. And I believe or I tend to believe Mark Zuckerberg when he says that Facebook simply believes that people have the right to express themselves, so the, the the predictability of this complaint about Facebook, it really makes the alarm bells go off in my head because there's this confirmation bias. The idea that Facebook is prioritizing engagement at the exclusion of doing what's right is just the dominant narrative around the company. And so, if if the the, the allegation is that Facebook's incentives are wrong because they only care about making money. I don't think that this is how they make money. And also, does Facebook spread misinformation any more than other outlets? The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, they report so much stupid stuff, so many stupid opinions. This entire piece about Facebook could be termed misinformation. Don't those outlets also promote Polarizing political content? Is that not literally what they are set up to do? So how hypocritical is it for them to criticize social media for doing it? It's only because they want the power. Look, I mentioned it earlier. In America, we do not trust things that are too big or too powerful. That includes Facebook. I don't trust Facebook. Through all of their acquisitions, They have too much power. That is not compatible with a strong and vibrant democracy. And I believe that more and more companies like Facebook, like Google, like Amazon, and Apple, they're all worthy of breaking up for different reasons. Not because of monopoly power, it's not that they are monopolies, it's that they are simply too big. And the power of these companies and their platforms allows them to destroy competitors. Remember earlier in the year when they all united to remove Parler from the internet just two days after some Democratic politicians demanded that? Facebook and Twitter both suppressed reporting about Hunter Biden and his business activities just weeks before the election last year. That's the most alarming thing. And Congress has not taken any concrete steps To regulate these companies because they're so dependent on the cash and the donations from these companies and their employees. But the Democrats want a crackdown on Facebook because they want to control its power. There was a survey uh, about two months ago that showed that Democrats now overwhelmingly support internet censorship, not only by the tech giants, but by the government. It was all in the name of, quote, restricting misinformation. More than three quarters of Democrats want the tech companies to restrict false info online, even if it limits freedom of information. I can promise you this. That's not going to work out. That's a terrible idea. This role, I think this role for, for Facebook and for others as the arbiters of speech was foisted upon them. I think after the 2016 election, the Democrats were fixated on blaming the social media giants and, frankly, blaming anyone else except themselves for their defeat. So they blamed Russia. They blamed Facebook. They, they, they started ramping up the pressure to control content and speech that they deemed dangerous or false or misinformation. Those are nothing words. And that naturally segued into banning their adversaries from using these platforms at all. Glenn Greenwald pointed out this week that first they began targeting the widely disliked figures like Milo Yiannopoulos and Alex Jones. By the way, Milo Yiannopoulos, doesn't he have like a a, a gay conversion camp or something now? The whole thing is like very performative and and bizarre. Anyways, it, it was first ban these guys, but it spread from there. I've said it before. Who crowned these idiots as the arbiters of truth? How many times did we see them get things wrong with COVID? How many times have we seen something labeled as misinformation only for it to turn out to be the exact opposite? And so this demand for censorship has found its hero in this Facebook whistleblower who stepped out of the shadows last week to pursue her 15 minutes of fame and her book deal. I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg or Facebook wants to be in the middle of deciding what is safe or accurate content. I think, speculatively, I think he much, much more closely aligns to a more libertarian strain of belief. But the politicians have forced this on him. Censor it or we will shut you down. It's the politicians and the broader mainstream media that are forcing this because they want the power to decide who can speak. They don't want platforms like Substack to exist because then the talented journalists, the ones who have something interesting and insightful to say and to report, whether it's Glenn Greenwald or Matt Taibbi or Barry Weiss or many, many others, they don't need the New York Times to stamp their approval on something. Curtis Yarvin wrote a great essay and he made this point. What grants the press this terrifying power, the pure and beautiful power of the logos? What distinguishes a well-written post like this one from an equally well-written New York Times op-ed? Nothing at all but prestige. In normal times, every sane CEO will comply unhesitatingly with the slightest whim of the legitimate press, just as they will comply unhesitatingly with a court order. That's just how it is. To not call this power government is just playing with words. You know, in nineteen sixty three the Supreme Court issued a decision in the case of Bantam Books versus Sullivan. In that case, in in the name of combating the obscene, indecent, and impure, the Rhode Island legislature Instituted this commission that would notify bookstores whenever they determined that a book or a magazine that they were selling was, quote, objectionable. And they would request their cooperation by removing it and refusing to sell it any longer. Four book publishers sued. They said that this practice was a violation of the First Amendment, even though they weren't forced to censor, even though they were supposedly doing it voluntarily. They were doing it under the threat of these advisory notices from the state. And that's precisely what Congress is doing with social media now. The government is making enough threats and applying enough pressure that the private companies have no choice but to censor speech. I don't know if we're at the legal line of that 1963 precedent. That remains to be determined. But it is clear to me that the politicians are trying to capture Facebook's power and use it for their own ends. They must be stopped. Thank you for listening. Please become a paid subscriber. Check out my substack, .substack LeeBrestler.substack.com. You can find a lot more content there. Look me up on Instagram, on Twitter, and I will be back with more soon.